Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, Psalm chapter 1, if you have your Bible, Psalm chapter 1. Now, I started a sermon series last week entitled, Grow, Becoming the Person God Meant for You to Be. God doesn't save us to say the same. We've sung about that all morning. He saves us so we can grow and become the person God meant for us to be. And here's a statement I'll say every week, Lord willing, is that God's vision for us is bigger than our vision for ourselves. God's got more that he wants to do through you than you can ever imagine, but it's not going to happen if you stay the same. You've got to grow. More blessings come as you grow. More responsibilities come as you grow. More joy comes as you grow. Now, look, look, look right this way with me here for just a second. Now, understand, over the next several weeks, and as you go through your 21-day devotion starting tomorrow, understand this, that you, I'm not preaching anything you've not heard over the next few weeks. I, I'm, I'm today, I'm preaching this subject. It's called Read Up from Psalm chapter 1. We're going to talk about the Word of God. And I know, I know, I know you say, well, that's all a preacher ever talks about, reading the Bible. No, it's not, but here's the deal. I only talk about it because we're not doing it. The fact is, research shows in Christianity in large, we're still not engaged with our Bibles at all. Now, I'm not talking about a little bit. I'm not talking, we're not engaged at all with the Word of God. Most people in the average church take their Bible home, set it down, and never touch it again until they come to church the next Sunday. And you just can't grow. You can't become the person God wants for you to be unless you grow. You're not going to fulfill the vision God has for your life unless you grow. You say, well, preacher, when do I arrive? When you die. When you go to heaven, you are then released uh, from your growth on earth. But by the way, most of us believe that heaven is still a time of growth as we get to know God more and more. It's not, it's not we don't get it all when we land. And so we, we've got to... We've got to pour ourselves into this book. We've got to pour ourselves into the word of God. And listen, it will change your life. So I want to preach today on read up from Psalm chapter one and just turn there. And Psalm, if you're new, you know, you don't know much about your Bible, that's fine. You look in the table of contents, so table is right almost in the middle of your Bible, Psalm chapter 1. It's the largest book in your Bible, so if you get near the middle, you're, you're close and uh, find Psalm chapter 1. Hey, let me tell you a story. How many of you have ever heard of home field advantage in sports? Let me see your hand, home field advantage. Right, so that's the theory that believes, that's not a theory, it's actually true, the home team wins more when they're at home than they're away. So you even take the best team uh, in any sport, uh, they'll win more at home than they do away. But you take uh, the worst team in a sport and they'll still win more home games by and large. If you take an entire Major League Baseball season, entire NFL season, entire college football season, you take an entire Japanese baseball season, the home team wins the majority of games every single year without fail. It's never failed. So in 2011, Sports Illustrated wanted to do research on why does the home team win. And so they dug in and they looked at all the things that you would try to figure out. Uh, for example, 
They thought, well, maybe crowd noise affects things. Like maybe, maybe pitchers, uh, their velocity on their fastball is lower at away games. They studied all that, and none of it was true. Pitchers were just as good home and away. Velocity was just as good home and away. Everything was just as good home and away as far as the mechanics of it. They even studied uh, free throw percentage in the NBA. And get this, for two decades, this is a hard stat to believe, for two decades, the home team and the away team both shot 75.9% on free throws. Both, exactly the same for two decades. And so they, Sports Illustrated said, we've got to figure out there is an obvious advantage and uh, we can't figure out what it is. So they did the research and they figured out what it was. According to the article, get this, officials' bias was why teams have home field advantage. And it sums up to this, officials, refs, don't like to get booed. <laughs> so when they dug into the research, they discovered that officials, say, for example, Major League Baseball umpire, he called more strikes for the, in favor of the home team than he did in favor of the away team. Why? Because when he was uh, at a home game, the, the home team fans, they were screaming and yelling and calling him all sorts of vile, ugly names, and he didn't like it. In the NBA, ref, refs called more fouls on the away team than they did on the home team. Why? Because the stands are so close, they don't like being booed. And here's what the study said. The study said the refs naturally and often unconsciously respond to pressure from the crowd. They try to please the angry fans and make the calls that will lessen the pain of crowd disapproval. Uh, 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 in short, the refs don't like to get booed. And in the end, the refs' people-pleasing response can have an impact on the final result of the game. So that means when you go to a game and you yell like a crazy person, it works. <laughs> now, public service announcement to you crazy rec department moms, all right? <laughs> you still have to be a Christian, all right? I'm just letting you know, you still got to chill sometimes. Uh, People don't like to be booed. And I can tell you, it's not just refs, but we all have a little bit of that bias in us that we don't like to be booed. And in one of those surefire ways, can I tell you this? That if you're a Christian and you live in this world, can I tell you this? You are the away team. This world is not your home. You're just passing through. This world belongs to the enemy and his crowd and his culture. And, and I'll just be honest with you. If you're going to live for Jesus, you are going to get booed sometimes. If you go against the stream and you follow the proven path of the word of God, can I just tell you that there are going to be times you get booed. And some of the time, the reason we aren't in our Bible and some of the times the reason we don't follow our Bible is we don't like to get booed. But one of the spiritual disciplines in the Christian life that you cannot grow without it is the daily dive into the Word of God. Listen, we talked about last week how being saved for a long time doesn't make you a mature Christian at all. Days don't equal depth. And I meet Christians all the time in churches all around America that have been saved for a long time and they'll almost make statements like this. They've been saved for 20 years and they'll say, well, preacher, I really don't know much about the Bible. Well, why? Why? It's been given to you for your success. It has been given to you for your prosperity. 
been given to us so we can grow. And that's what the writer of Psalm chapter 1 tells us. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? Psalm chapter 1, we're going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to spend all my time in uh, three verses, and it's only six verses long. Look at verse number 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly, though, are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Thank you. You may be seated. This is the very first psalm in what is the largest uh, book in the Bible. And Psalm chapter 1 kind of starts off by giving us the two paths. There is the path of the godly and then there is the path of the ungodly. There's the path of the righteous and then there's the path of the unrighteous. And he, he really gives the destination for both paths. He said the path of the godly ends in blessing and the path of the ungodly ends in despair and in ruin. And so Psalm chapter 1 lays all of that out for us and it tells us that if you want to be a blessed Christian, get this, that if you want to be a blessed Christian, that you have to follow the path of the godly. Now that where it's talking about being blessed in Psalm chapter one, you got to get this, that the word blessed is in the plural and it, it really means blessings in the plural. Not just blessed one time is the man, but the blessings of God are upon the man who does exactly what he's about to say. And so he sets up chapter one by saying this, the blessings of God are upon the man, the woman, the people of God, the blessings of God are upon the people who were regularly in the word of God. That the word of God, the Bible, is what gives you joy and you happiness. And the only way to be blessed by God is to stay in the word of God. So I want to talk about being blessed by God this morning. I want to talk about what it takes to be blessed by God. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be blessed by God if you do say Amen. If you want to be cursed by God, say amen. So we're in unanimous opinion this morning, right? So how do you be blessed by God? Here it is. Number one is this. And it's unfolding as a little bit of a story. Number one, if you don't take bad advice. The Bible starts off in verse number one that laying the foundation of why you should be reading your Bible. Here's what he says in verse 1. Blessed is the man or the blessings of God are upon the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You have to understand why God wants you to read your Bible. God's not punishing you by asking you to be in his word. God is not punishing us by asking us to read his Bible. He's not trying to confuse us with a bunch of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. But here's the truth. When you read your Bible, you go read Psalm 119. It's, it's hundreds of verses all about your Bible. And here's what Psalm 119 and every other place in the Bible is going to tell you. That if you stay in the Bible, your Bible is your guide, get this, to a healthy, happy, and holy life. You get that? Healthy, happy, and holy life. Here's what that means. That if you want relational health, the Bible's your guide. If you want family health, 
The Bible is your guide. Hey, it's interesting. If you read the Old Testament, if you wanted physical health, the Bible was their guide. But you want to be holy, which makes you in a right relationship with God, the Bible's your guide. You want to be happy, you want to have joy in your life, the Bible is your guide. But here's the deal. You cannot follow the Bible and the world at the same time. They are opposed to each other. They are the opposites of one another. They are not in agreement together. And so you have to make a choice. If you follow the culture and go with the crowd, the home team, and leave out the Bible, you'll do one or the other. No blessing. But if you want to follow the Bible and don't care what the culture says, then that's with the blessing of God. And so here's what he said. There are three groups of people that you do not need to get advice from. Here's who not to take advice from. Here's what he says. The ungodly, the sinners, and the scornful. Now let me, let me, let me kind of put those in today's vernacular a little bit. The ungodly in the Hebrew means someone who has been found guilty of wrongdoing. Like he's already been to court and declared guilty. Not just caught, a judge has declared him guilty. So uh, the ungodly is someone who's done wrong, been caught, and found guilty. Now the sinner in the Hebrew is someone who has a, uh, a leaning towards wrong, a leaning towards sin. And so the ungodly, they've, been, they've, they've done one thing, they've been caught, and they're guilty. And then you've got the sinner who's probably been caught multiple times. And any time a sinner has a decision to make, he leans towards the sin. And then there's the scornful, mockers, sometimes it's defined in your Bible. Here's what that means in the Hebrew. It's one who habitually chooses wrong. It's one who habitually chooses sin. So now follow the progression of who's doing what here. You've got the ungodly, they've, they've, they've been declared guilty at least one time. You've got the sinners, they always lean towards sin. And you've got the scorn, scornful who always choose sin. You've got the ungodly who made a mistake You've got the sinner who leans into mistakes, and you've got the scornful who's always making a mistake. You with me? You've got the ungodly who messed up. You've got the sinner who can't seem to make a right good decision. And then you've got the scornful who is always messing up. And here's what the Bible says. Those are not the people to go get advice from. Man, I don't want to be cruel this morning, but we tend even as Christians to get our advice from the people who are closest to us. And by that, I don't mean close, emotionally close. I mean proximity close. You go to work and you look at the guy next to you and you say, man, my wife and I just aren't getting along. What do you think I ought to do? And he says, our divorce lawyer told us last week that you ought to just leave her. Or you ask the sinner, as the Bible would term it, what do you think I ought to do? I don't know. When my wife lets me move back in, I'll let you know. Or you ask the scornful, what do you think I ought to do? And he says, I don't know, but I just married my seventh wife, and I think she's going to be the one. <laughs> you ask him for financial advice. What do you think I ought to do? Well, my bankruptcy lawyer just told me this. I don't know. i got to call MasterCard tomorrow. They're about to repossess everything I own. I'll ask that guy. You see what I'm saying? We tend to go to proximity, and there are people 
that those, those ungodly, the sinners and the scoreful, they're always dabbling in the gray areas of life. And listen, if that group is your advisory council, you are never going to live a happy life. Here's why. You, don't, you shouldn't take advice from people who don't know the way. How many of you have ever heard of, uh, she's kind of an internet sensation now, Marie Kondo in the art of tidying up. Have you heard of her, Marie Kondo? Raise your hand. I want to see because almost no. Oh, thank you. About three people in early service raise their hand. I, I don't know. It's just too hard in early service to get it up. I don't know. But uh, any, any of y'all seen her show on Netflix, seen the show? If you haven't, you need to go to Netflix and watch. She's a little Japanese lady. I've actually been following her for a couple of years. I read one of her books a couple of years ago. Uh, her best-selling book was translated into 30 different languages. In 2015, she was uh, one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. And she teaches this art of tidying up. And she says that tidiness brings joy and happiness in your life. And so she, in our internet, on her Netflix special, she'll go through a house and she'll tidy people's house up. And she even gets down to the point, she tells you how to fold your clothes. So by way of a public service announcement this morning, I thought some of you could use some help.手のひらの愛情を伝えながら畳むっていうのをすごく大切にしながら畳んでいきます。で、洋服を畳むことというのは、ただ単に洋服をすごく小さくしていくことではなくて、こう洋服にさわっていきながら、その洋服とこうコミ
Let me ask you a question. If, if Marie Kondo had a series on how to tidy your house and this is where she lived, would you care anything all about her tidying advice? No, you wouldn't. I, I don't, this person does not need to clean my house at all. Or tell me how to clean. If they're cleaning my house, I think they're just taking it from me so they can put it in their house, right? Like they want it away from me. But if, if we wouldn't listen to Marie Kondo to tell us how to tidy up our house, look that way. Why do we listen to people who are far from the word of God tell us how to live our lives? And why do we listen to that advice? Why do you let people whose lives are in a mess tell you how to live? Why would we ever, ever, ever care what somebody in Hollywood thought about how to live? They can send out a tweet on how to vote and people go wild. I don't need somebody from Hollywood flying to Georgia knocking on my door telling me how to vote. And that's not a political statement. God can do that for me. Why would we ever let a night time... By the way, why would we take advice from anybody whose life is an utter disaster? Every day you turn on the news and one's been arrested for DUI, one's been arrested for drugs, one has, is difficult. Why, are we, why do we care? That's not where your advice should come from. Why do we let late night TV talk shows determine our worldview? God help us. Hold on. Why do we let daytime television be our experts in our lives? Well, now I hit too close to home, didn't I? I don't even know if this show is on still. But don't care what the ladies on The View think. Ooh, amen. <laughs> Oprah is not going to determine my theology. But yet the world goes over and over and over again. And we say amen to all those, but yet we go to our friends who are no better off than us teenagers. Listen, okay, if you're a teenager, if you're a teenager in the building, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. Can I tell you something? Your friends are no smarter than you are. <laughs> right? Most of them are not as smart because they're not even here this morning. They're not even in church this morning. You're smarter than they are. If you don't know what to do, they don't know what to do. And don't ask them for advice. They don't know. I mean, I'm all for you having friends. But look, that guy that you, uh, hey, I'm, I'm 50. Uh, the guy you thought was really smart in high school, let me ask you a question. How smart was he? Not very. You know what? We as adults do the same thing. We go to work and we're like, hey, what would you do about, no. They need your prayers. So who are you listening to this morning? Where, where do you get marriage advice from? Where do you get family advice from? Where do you get parenting advice from? It ought to come from here. Where do you get financial advice from? It ought, to, it ought to come from here. Where do you get spiritual and emotional advice from? It ought to come from here. Because if you want to live the blessed life, don't take bad advice. Let me tell you the second thing he tells us. I'm moving quickly. Number two, if you stay in the Bible day and night, there's two ways to live a blessed life. Number one, you don't take bad advice. Number two, you stay in the Bible day and night. That's what he said to us in verse number two. Here's what he said. But the, the, the blessed person, 
the person the blessings of God are on. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. In his law he meditates day and night. And the first thing we have to do is define a few words. The first word is the word delight. That word literally means to spark joy, spark happiness, or bring a positive emotion. Can I say this? For the child of God, the word of God ought to bring joy in your life. You cannot view your Bible as a drudgery and fall in love with it. Then he says you ought to meditate. The word in the Hebrew there means in this place, uh, the word meditate means someone who mutters to themselves all day long. So here's what that means. It's not telling you to do something crazy. It's telling you that you ought to dive into the word early in the morning, every day of your life, and then you ought to think about it and talk about it to yourself all day long. That's the picture of the blessed life. You have to be daily in the word of God. Now, if you get daily in the word of God, it'll do at least four things for you. Number one, it will clean you. What do you mean, preacher? I mean, it will get inside your heart and we tend to sweep things in the corners we don't want to deal with. But when you get in this Bible every day, it gets in the corners, it it gets all the dirt out from under the rug and it gets the dirt out of the corners and makes you deal with them. Number two, it will clear you. The Bible says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That if you want direction in life, it is the Bible we should go to. Number three, it'll clothe you. It will put the righteousness of God in your life. It'll put the armor of God in your life and it will arm you to deal with the culture in which we live. And number four, it will cling you. You'll draw closer to the Lord when you spend time in your word. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, preacher, I just don't get anything out of the Bible. I I know, I've been there. I'm, I'm, I'm sympathizing with you. I'm empathizing with you. I understand. You're like, preacher, I've tried to read the Bible before and I don't get it. Number one, don't start in the book of Leviticus. None of us understand that book either, right? It's okay. Don't start there. It's okay. Look, if you're just trying to get into your Bible, it's okay to read Genesis and Exodus. And if you want to skip Leviticus and Numbers, I'm not mad at you. Neither is God. I mean, it's good stuff in there, but I mean, it's some of you got to dig into a little bit. Listen to this. I know what you're saying, preacher. I don't get anything out of the Bible, but here, here's something I learned when I was, I fell in love with God's word when I was about 18 years old. And here's a statement I've been saying for decades. If you'll get into the word of God, the word of God will get into you. And I don't know how to explain that. I don't know how to say it, but I'm just saying, if you will get into the Bible and get a taste of the word of God, then what's going to happen is that word of God will get into your life. And all of a sudden you went from not liking it at all to you can't wait to see what God has to say to you. Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of you, uh, how many of you ate that on New Year's Day? Let me see your hand. You eat that? Yeah. What is that? Black eyed peas, Ann. And what else did you eat with it? Ham, right? Black eyed peas, collard green, ham. That's the, that's the southern recipe for success, right? That's what we do in the south. My wife made, made it on... Uh, on uh, uh, January 1st, I can't wait to eat it. Like, I look forward to it. I, I am addicted to collard greens. She cooks them uh, in a big way a couple times a year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and January 1st, and I want them more. I love collard greens. Now, it's got something to do with the way she cooks them because it's, it's got, you know, it's got stuff in there. You know, it's not probably not healthy the way we do it, but, man, they are so good, and I crave it. And I'll, but you ask her, I sent her the other day, I found a recipe for black-eyed pea and collard green soup. And I'm like, hey, let's try that, baby. Make that for me. I, I'm all in on that. Like, let's try it. Because I love, I don't know what it is, I love a collard greens. I, I can taste them right now. I love them so much. Thank you. But I was a teenager. I would not eat a collard green for love or money. 
And I use it in the singular sense. I wouldn't eat not one. My mom would put a collard green on my plate and I'd be like, no. Where's the pizza? I am not eating a collard green. I grew up my whole life and I just thought weird people ate collard greens and old people ate that kind of stuff. And one time my wife cooked it for me, cooked it the way she cooks it. And it was collard green, supreme. I don't know what's in it. It's just awesome. <laughs> stuff floating in there and I ate it. And now I want it all the time. I ordered it at restaurants now. Because why? I love collard greens. But here's the truth. I was spitting out collard greens saying I didn't like them, but I'd never really actually put it in my mouth, my tongue, and never really touched it. I just, you've seen your little kids do that. You fought with your three-year-old. You've done it. You said, you're going to sit at this table. Do you eat a green bean? <coughs> Michaela outlasted us. <laughs> Three hours later, we were ready to go to bed, and we just let her go to bed. I mean, it's like, okay, you're not going to eat a green bean. We're, we give up. Here's a fudge round instead. quit you know what they do they spit a singular green bean out of their mouth and they have not even tasted it yet hold on that's exactly what we do with the bible we put a verse in our minds and we're like i don't understand this i don't get it It doesn't make sense and we spit it out and we never go back so let me tell you what you've got to do if you want to get the word of god in your life daily and i got to hurry number one you got to read the word of god that is, every child of God ought to have some kind of reading plan to read through your Bible. I don't care if you read through your Bible in a year. I don't care if you read through it in two years. I don't care if you read through it five years. If you read a Psalm a day and a Proverb every day, read through the New Testament in a six months or a year, I don't care. You've got to have a plan to read your Bible. You've got Bible apps on your on your phone and, and, and on your tablet and your computer, you can download Bible.com and, and it'll give you all kinds of plans. But every day, you've got to have a plan to be in the Word of God. You've got to read it. Number two, you ought to study it. You ought to pick out one of your favorite books in the Bible, go down to, the li- uh, go down to Lifeway or, or uh, uh, go on Amazon, buy you a good conservative Baptist commentary on uh, that book and read that book and, and read that commentary and read that book and read that commentary. You've got to study it. Number three, you need to meditate on it. It wouldn't hurt you to memorize a verse a month. The psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You say, Preacher, my day's so busy. I know it. You're going to have to get up early. Because I'm telling you, if you do anything before you do it, it won't work. Or you're going to have to stay up late. Or you're going to have to take your lunch time and go out to get away from everybody at lunch and go out and read it. But if you don't do that, listen, you have to make it a daily practice. Number three, I just, I, I'm going to have to hurry. Number three is this. If you don't take it bad advice, and if you live in the word day and night, number three, you'll live the blessed life. You'll live the blessed life. Here's what he said in verse number three. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. Here, here's what he said about this tree. He said, this tree that's planted by the rivers of water, it is the tree when it's planted close to the water source. It grows, it produces, and it lasts. Listen to that. It grows, it produces, and it lasts. It grows, it produces, and it lasts. You say, preacher, he's talking about trees. Well, you'd think so until you get down to the last phrase, and he says, whatever, say that word with me, whatever he does. No, we're not talking about trees. 
We're talking about Christians who live their lives close to the word of God. Whatever he does, that is the most amazing promise in the Bible. Whatever he does, whatever she does, whatever they do, if you live it close to the word of God, you will prosper. You know why? Because God has written a book that will guide you through the pitfalls and perils and traps of the enemy. And all you have to do is read it. That is the Bible. And the Bible, here's what it does. I love this. The Bible keeps me from taking two steps forward and one step back. You know that old phrase? The Bible helps me, I love this, avoid losses and increase gains in my life. The Bible helps me to be moving forward because here's what it does. It, the Bible will tell you, oh, don't, that's not how you ought to act in your marriage. Here's how you ought to act. Men, it'll keep you from doing something stupid. Or at least apologize quickly when you do. Peter tells us that. It's in the Bible. And what the Bible does is keep you from making those major mistakes. Because if you'll consult the Bible in every area of your life, here's what will happen. It'll stop you from making those major mistakes. And it'll just, look, it's not like winning the lottery. It's not like that. It's like getting a little better every day. It's like growing as the word of God gets into your life. You may not recognize this person, but in 2010, the British cycling team hired this man named Dave Brelsford to lead their, their cycling team, Team Sky, to the Tour de France. And they hired him, or as we would say in the South, Tour de France or something like that, but they, they hired him because of a particular philosophy he believed in it was called the aggregation of marginal gains. Now, here's what David Brelsford said. He said, we're going to avoid losses. We're not going to go backwards. And we're going to try to make everything, get this, 1% better. If every race and every year and every month and every week and every day, we try to do something just 1% better. So they did what you would thought. They, they tried to increase their diet, not overhaul their diet, just make their diet 1% better. They improved the weight of the tires on the bicycles just to make it 1% better. They studied the ergonomics of the bike seats to make it 1% better. They did things you'd never think of. He said sleep is optimal uh, for a cyclist to cycle for hours and hours a day. So they researched the best type of pillows to carry on the road with them when they were in a hotel room. And they bought the best type of pillows just to sleep 1% better. They taught them how to wash their hands 1% better because they said if you get a cold or you get sick, it slows you down. And if you'll wash your hands and keep yourself germ-free, just 1% better. Not just overhaul it, just get 1% better. They even took their trucks that they carried their bicycles in. On the inside of the truck, they painted the interior totally white so they could see a, a tiny dot of rust if it started. Just a little bit of rust was corrosion was bad for a bicycle. And they said that'll make us one, just the mar marginal gains. Just keep going forward, don't go backwards. David Brelfer said, uh, my hope is we could win the Tour de France in five years. He was wrong. They won it in three. In 2012, for the first time in the history of the race, someone from Great Britain won the race. And get this, in the next year's uh, uh, Olympics, for the first time ever, 
Team Sky out of Britain won 70% of the gold medals. 70%. And here was the philosophy. Don't go backwards. Just get a little better. And can I tell you, the reason I tell you that is you want to know why I should read my Bible? Here's why. The Bible keeps you from going backwards in your marriage, backwards in your finances, backwards in your relationships, backwards in your spirit, backwards in your walk with God. And you're not going to win the biblical rod. You're not going to read a verse tomorrow and go, that is the greatest verse the world has ever seen. Nobody's ever seen that verse. And suddenly I'm rich and suddenly I'm, 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 my marriage is better, my kids are better, and I'm better looking than I was yesterday. I found the verse. Hey, there's not the verse. But what it'll do is keep you from going backwards and falling into sin and making bad decisions and mistakes. And it'll keep your life moving forward. Because I'm going to tell you something, you wouldn't make major change, and God knows it. So he just wants you to get a little better every day. When you open that Bible and you read it and you say, well, I didn't know God wanted me to do that. I didn't know that's how I ought to do. I didn't know that's the way my marriage ought to be. I didn't know that's the way my family ought to be. I didn't know that's the way my finances ought to be. And as you dive into that every day, it's called a spiritual discipline. And if you do that, you'll live the blessed life. Close your Bibles. I'm finished. So here's the key. The spiritual discipline is reading your Bible. But it's more than that. Because if you're going to follow your Bible, you can't listen to bad advice. You just can't. That, that advice you're getting is going to rule out God's word. If you're following your Bible, you've got to be in it day and night because God wants to speak to your heart daily. You can't have a good relationship and not talk to somebody but once every two or three or four months it's not going to work they can't be your mentor they can't be your guide which is what God wants to be but can I tell you hey listen look this way it's the only way to live a blessed life there is no other way there's no other way so how are you how is your relationship with the word can I tell you what you need to do right now I've had to do it in my life you have there's no other way you've got to determine when you're going to read your Bible, where you're going to read your Bible, and how you're going to read your Bible. That decision needs to be made today. When am I going to read it? How am I going to read it? Am I going to read through the Bible in a year? Am I going to read through a book in a month? How am I going to do it? Where am I going to do it? Because if you don't do that, this is not interruption-free time. The enemy sees you get up early in the morning and you've got this book. He's going to look at the demons of hell and be like, hey, boys, get up. I don't know what he's doing. He's got his Bible. Go do something. He's not going to like it. That's why it's a discipline. A discipline. Do you stand with me across the room? We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.